Today, I will be introducing Rebecca Goldpertz. She joined us at the Reedfield Academy in November for a talk on abortion rights, abortion laws, and her different campaigns and charities. Many of you probably know of her work already, but for those of you who don't, Rebecca Gompertz is an innovative activist, physician and artist who's been coming up with creative and effective ways of supporting women in need of abortions all over the world. Most importantly, in countries where women are criminalised for attempting the procedure. Rebecca studied art at the Reedfeld Academy whilst also attending medical school here in Amsterdam in the 80s. In 1999, she founded Women on Waves, a Dutch non-profit organisation that uses innovative tools and campaigns like abortion boats and hotlines to overcome and challenge restrictive abortion laws. Whilst raising a lot of awareness for the cause, they also provide safe and effective alternatives to women who've been denied the right to choose. Later, she founded Women on Web, a telemedical abortion service, and in 2018, she founded Aid Access, also serving women living in America. Despite being Dutch and living in Amsterdam, she is the main abortion provider in the US. She is considered the first abortion rights activist who's crossed international borders, and in 2020 she was included in Time's 100 Most Influential People. We are so honoured and grateful that she decided to join us. As um, it is a live recording of a lecture, she will be referencing some of the slides from a PowerPoint, but it's still very easy to follow and I really recommend having a listen. We do also apologise for the slightly suboptimal sound quality. Um, we had a few technical difficulties during this talk, so we will be switching between two sound sources. So we apologise for that. Um, yeah, we're just going to jump straight into the talk. I will start with something, which is when you talk about abortion, it's never about really about human rights or health or public health or good medical practice. It's always about politics. And um, what you see around the world now is that the countries where democratic regimes are crumbling and more autocratic regimes are taking over, women's rights are being taken away. And often it's combined with other rights, like the freedom of press, um, but and LGBTQ rights as well. Um, and what we see now, for example, is um, you know with the rise of Orban. Abortion is, is being restricted in Hungary. It's much more harder than it used before. We see in Russia, Putin is restricting abortion rights. And there was just today, there was a call from the uh, Russian Catholic um, uh, Church to totally ban abortion in order to increase the population in Russia because there's a declining population. Poland, uh, it was a country where abortion was legal uh, under communism. And then when they helped to overthrow, um, uh, the Catholic Church was very instrumental in getting, you know, to overthrow the communist regime. And as a thank you to the Pope, uh, they banned abortion and sterilization. Um, so the United States, uh, the abortion laws there were restricted because basically Trump uh, was able to put, to appoint um, the Supreme Court judges, three Supreme Court judges, and you know we know that Trump was a very autocratic person when it came to that. So whenever you see somewhere abortion rights are being restricted, you really have to look further and look at what's happening more in the country and what is the situation of democracy. Uh, so one of the things that people think it's rare, and abortion is not rare, it's one of the most performed medical procedures in the world. 
Um, and when we look at the abortion laws, like now there's sometimes a, a sense of desperacy about what's happening in the world. It feels so um, uh, powerless. Um, and that is a feeling that a lot of abortion rights activists have also when we look at what's happening you know, in the United States, for example. But if you look overall, actually, the abortion rights improved over the last years. Um, so this is a, a slide from the abortion laws in 2014, so 10 years ago. And here you can still see the abortion was still illegal in Ireland. It was still illegal in Thailand, in Korea, in Argentina, in Colombia, in Mexico. So many, many countries moved towards legalization in the past 10 years. And this is the slide of how it's now. So you see all these blue hubs popping up. Um, and so most countries have moved towards legalization of abortion. It's just the United States that has returned, uh, has turned back the abortion rights. Um, if you look at the history of abortion, there, has, there is no natural law against abortion. Um, so actually the first abortion laws that came into existence was around uh, 19, uh, sorry, 1800. And it was uh, with the, the Pope PS9 that stated that life starts from conception when abortion was mostly universally banned from that moment. Before also contraceptives was also um, illegal. Um, and uh, these, the, it was so it started in Europe, and these laws were exported to other countries with the colonization. So it's a colonial law, an abortion law. In most Native American uh, communities, for example, uh, there's, I mean, it's it's a, it's a common practice. It was, uh, it's it's part of the the culture, the history where people have all kinds of ways to control their fertility, including abortion. And that's in most of the, uh, the, the original uh, population around the world. So it was the Catholic Church that spread these laws around the world. Now, if you look at um, the unsafety, like one of the things with banning abortion, so this is also an, uh, an, a project that we did with an art collective. I don't know if you know them, the Yes Men. Uh, if you don't know them, they're extremely funny. And we did a workshop with them and we designed this campaign with them. We pretended to be Diesel, uh, the fashion brand Diesel, and we started, we launched kind of an abortion rights campaign in their name. Um, but uh, the, basically the, the, what happens is in countries where abortion is illegal, um, there's a social injustice. The people that have money, they will always find a doctor that can perform a procedure on them or will, is willing to sell them the pills. It's really the, the people that don't have money or access to information that are living far away in rural areas, for example, that are suffering the consequences of these laws. But if you look at abortion per se, it's one of the safest medical procedures. It's safer than uh, surgical plastic surgery, it's saving than dental surgery, it's definitely saving than, safer than giving birth. Um, in the Netherlands, one in 20,000 women are dying uh, in birth, um, and an abortion is, you know, the risk of, you know, mortality risk of an abortion is less than one in a million. So um, it's, it's, it's really important to realize this, that uh, if women would really take a decision concerning their own life only, at stake, then they should all have abortions. 
um, because it's actually quite dangerous for a woman to go to pregnancy and to give birth. It's one of the most dangerous events in a woman's life. In the US, the maternal mortality rate is actually higher. It's one in 5,000 women that are, giving, that are dying uh, while giving birth. And we see that especially, and that's even in the Netherlands the case, um, uh, African-American uh, women are the ones that have an even more higher uh, death rate. So there's a big inequality in uh, maternal care all over the world. And here we see it also the import uh, population of the, the, the second generation from Turkish, Moroccan, Surinamese, Arubian. They have a much higher uh, death rate um, uh, for giving birth. So everything changed. I can say things dramatically changed with the invention of the abortion pills. Because before abortion pills were available, women were dependent on somebody who understands their anatomy and uh, was able to work uh, um, in a sterile environment. Because the only other abortions that were available at that moment, since the, let's say since 1900, were uh, surgical abortions. And how that works is you put a, a tube into the into the uterus, and then you vacuum out or the contents of the womb. Or what used to be also another uh, method is with a kind of a spoon that had one sharp edge that they scraped out the internals. And so if you don't know what to do, uh, that can be dangerous because you can cause perforations or infections or things like that, or heavy bleeding. Um, but the other thing is what women used to do when they have an unwanted pregnancy and don't have access to the pills or the services, they will harm themselves. So we have had so many emails from women jumping off stairs, putting uh, knitting needles in their womb, um, you know, hitting themselves in their belly in order in the hope to, uh, to cause an abortion. So if we look at the abortion pills, um, I will tell you when it became available, but how it's now available in the world, it's actually very diverse. So you have regular pharmacies, which is now in the Netherlands, in Austria, and India, Nepal. You have black market, of course, in all the countries where abortion is illegal. There's a huge black market, which also happens with marijuana or other things. Uh, online, uh, online services like Women on Web, which started already 15 years ago, but also only in special clinics or hospitals, like in Germany or Italy, or Hungary, um, and in these clinics, often you have to have special consultations where the consulting consultations try to dissuade you from having an abortion and try to keep you to convince you that you have to keep the pregnancy. Um, and then there's telemedicine, which is now available in the UK, in the United States, in some of the states where it's still illegal: Canada, France, Ireland, etc. And that is all current situation. This didn't wasn't there. 20 years ago. So what is also very important is that the World Health Organization is now supporting self-use of medical abortion. And what that means is that you don't need a doctor, you don't need a pharmacist, you don't need a nurse, you don't need anybody to do an abortion safely yourself with pills. So our next aim is to, get, to make sure that the abortion pills will be available over the counter, that you can go to any drugstore, like you buy the emergency contraceptive, so that you can buy abortion pills, so that you can have an abortion. And this is the situation for abortions up till 13 weeks. After the procedure gets a little bit more complication, complicated, a bit, little bit 
uh, higher risk of complications. But the reality is that 95% of the people, they know they're pregnant the moment they miss their period. And a lot of the people are using now apps to track their period. Um, and so um, in the Netherlands, 95% of the abortions takes place before, nine, uh, before 12 weeks and 80% before eight weeks. So you can really reach a very large public with that. Also, telemedicine is now supported by the World Health Organization since 2022. Um, and what is also important, they say that everywhere around the world, all the criminal laws should be banned. There shouldn't be any criminal abortion law. It should just be part of the normal healthcare system. So how did we get there? Because it's since I started 20 years ago, or even more, 25 years ago, um, the landscape really changed a lot. And actually, it's quite interesting to be able to look back on that period. So I'm going to share that journey with you. Um, but the first medication abortion was actually done in 1969 um, in Sweden. That's a long time ago. Uh, and it were the inventors of the prostaglandinas, which is a medicine that causes contractions of the womb, who did it. And these people got a Nobel Prize for inventing and for discovering this hormone. And then um, when they discovered it, then they found out that there's a lot of plants and corals that are making this hormone, prostaglandinas. And uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, it was, this was a coral in the, the Gulf of Mexico that produced it. And then the pharmaceutical companies could uh, make it a, a commercial product. So it was not anymore, it, it was not anymore an, a human prostaglandin, but they could use a plant to, um, uh, to produce it. And this was a medicine that came on the market like Citrotec. And Citrotec was uh, registered all over the world for uh, gastric ulcers, prevention of gastric ulcers. Um, because they knew they couldn't register it for abortion, because abortion was almost illegal everywhere still at that time, also in the Netherlands, for example. Now, Nifepiston, which is the abortion pill, uh, was invented in the early 80s, 1980s. And this was the same time as the internet was at the start of the World Wide Web. So these are really two really important moments in history. And then this was developed together as the abortion pill. So the way it works in abortion with medicines is you can use either the misoprostol alone or you use the combination mifepristol and misoprostol. And the misoprostol is almost everywhere available, but it's on prescription. And the mifepristol is registered mostly in the countries where it's legal. But even if it's available, there's still many, many reasons why women cannot get access to abortions. Um, and uh, that can be because it's legally restricted, but also, for example, personal circumstances. So people that don't have the money to pay for services, or when you're in a controlling situation, or um, when it's only in a clinic, or, I mean, there's many, many, many reasons. So that also changed when we started working. We started working mostly in countries where it was illegal, but the more we worked, we actually realized actually it doesn't matter, even where it's legal somewhere, if you can get access to it, then the problem is the same. Uh, it's not that it's the same problem. So we started working towards countries where it's legal as well. Now, we did a lot of things. Um, I'm going to talk you through some of these campaigns. 
This is another thing that we work together with an, uh, an artist. Joop van Lieshout is a Dutch artist. He built our mobile treatment room. So we started as an organization, uh, and that was based on my experience. I worked as a ship's doctor with Greenpeace, uh, that we would have a ship that goes to countries where abortion is illegal. We take a boat there. Women can go on the boat. We sail to international waters, where it's the law of the ship that applies. Then we sail, and we give them the abortion pills, and then we sail back. So we asked Cube to build a mobile treatment room, and we got an art grant from it, from the Montreal Foundation. Um, and what was important is that we didn't realize that at that moment, but the first time that we sailed out to Ireland, I mean, everybody was, it was a huge, huge, huge event. Like the Dutch government was really upset. The Irish government was really upset. And they tried to stop the ship. So the Dutch government had said that the ship had to sail back because the certificates of the ship were not valid anymore because there was an additional um, accommodation on board, which was the mobile treatment room. And so then you sent a, a fax that was still fax. There was no email. Uh, there was email, but fax. Uh, and he said, well, this is a functional piece of art. And so it's not an extra accommodation. So the government didn't have any response to that, so we could continue sailing to Ireland. Um, and then the next campaign that we did was in Portugal. And when we went to Portugal, there were two warships that tried to stop us. And you can see them here in the background of the picture. One of the warships was called, are you, uh, no, we, the, so the Mifi the name is also, are you for 86? That was the way it was developed. And one of the warships was called F. U486. So there were a lot of jokes about that. But what happened is because we were stopped by the by the by the warships, we couldn't sail into the Gulf in the in the harbor. And so we started a court case against the government, but um, we lost the court case and the ship couldn't sail in. And so then we launched the campaign. We said, well, you can actually you can buy the abortion pills here in Portugal over the counter. It's for another indication, it's called Artrotech. And we said we are showing these pills and um, and we'll tell people how to do it. So every, all the news agencies had, these are the pills, this is where you buy, where you, that you can buy it, and this is where you can get the information on how to use the pills. So we had a hotline, and the hotline was overwhelmed with phone calls. Um, as a result of the ship's campaign, actually the president was for abortion rights, and the, and the, but the government was a right-wing government, they were against, and the president didn't agree with the warship, so the government fell. Um, and then there were elections again in um, uh, a, a few months later. So we were, the campaign was in September, the elections were in January. Um, and we had seen that this was an opinion poll, like 64% of the population supported the boat campaign. Um, and uh, the, the, the political parties were divided. So the socialist party government said, okay, we want to legalize abortion now. Uh, and they won the elections overwhelming majority. And um, two years or three years later, abortion was legalized. So it was very, uh, the, the ship really helped catalyze the change to the legalization of abortion in Portugal. Um, we went to the European Court of Human Rights because our rights were violated um, with banning the boat that we couldn't sail in with the boat. And we won that court case as well. So the work that I do, I want to just make sure that it's like everything. It's, it's art, it's law, law, it's really a lot of court cases. I think we've more than, had more than 20 work, uh, court cases uh, so far already. So we are using the courts to achieve change and also to get the rights to do what we want to do. 
uh, we work with artists, we work with doctors, we work with lawyers, we work with all those different things. So the the, the announcement of the abortion pills, the, the Artrotech, was the first time that we published, publicly launched this idea that women can do their own abortions. It was the first time ever that this was publicly available on the internet, this information. Um, and we made it the center of our work um, from then on. So we launched safe abortion hotlines in many places. Um, this is in Ecuador. We had planned a ship campaign in Ecuador, but uh, the boat, uh, well, it basically it stranded ashore. It sank in a storm. So we couldn't do the boat campaign anymore. And so this was what les was left over. It was to launch a hotline. This is the banner. This is the Virgin of Quito. It's very high on the mountain. And we went in and we launched the banner. It's in the film festival, this campaign. Um, and with the training of the women's rights organizations was a very important part of that. So we taught them you can, under the freedom of information, you're allowed to give scientific information. Well, to tell people how to do an abortion is scientific information as long as you don't tell them that they should do an abortion because then it's incitement to a crime, which you're not allowed to do. So we taught them that if you have a hotline and you have people calling, you can tell them, you know, if you use these and these medicines, this and this and this way, you have, there's such and such a chance to have a safe abortion. Um, and so this strategy was used to train women's rights organizations all over Latin America. We also trained in Pakistan, in Indonesia, many other places, but also, for example, in Argentina. So the first uh, training in Argentina was in 2009, um, and this led to the safe abortion hotline that existed there for a long time. And a lot of the, the green wave movement, a lot of the groups started providing abortion pills to women as well. Uh, so that uh, it really became a huge, important underground movement. And the way that the information about the hotline was spread was, for example, by stamping bills, money. And they had like a lot of other tactics with spraying, graffiti, stickers. Uh, and abortion was legalized in 2020. Um, and I can say really that the f feminist movement there has been amazing um, and, uh, and very strong. So that is the work that we did for a couple of years, training a lot of the women's rights organizations or, um, and, make, and, and basically make sure that they know about medication abortion because nobody knew, nobody had any idea that it existed. And so when they knew, they knew the, where to get the pills because the pills you could get in India or in a, you know, import it yourself or fly there or by internet. So in 2005, we also started Women on Web, which was an online abortion service. It still exists. It's a telemedical abortion service, meaning that women can do a consultation online, and then the pills are sent to your home address. This was the first time ever that this was done. And we got a lot of pushback from the medical community who were saying, oh, this is dangerous. You can't do it. You're going to risk women's lives, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we knew we had to publish our data in scientific research. So what was interesting, the first scientific research paper that we published, there was an article in the Daily Telegraph, 2008, long time ago, right? And they say women risking their health in abortion web, uh, for, you know, using abortion websites. And then, you know, only nine years later, the same, the same newspaper showed abortion pills, anything you need to know, go to Women on Web. So there was a huge change in public opinion, and it's kind of rare that you can actually show it with the same newspaper a couple of years later that has a totally different opinion. Now, I will talk a little bit more about Ireland, 
uh, I, I always talk too much, but I will. So uh, in Ireland, uh, we launched, um, we worked a lot together with the local abortion uh, groups there as well. And I will show you the things that are not in Vessel. So when you stay, you will see a documentary that's to, uh, about our work till 2014. And after, this is all after. So we, there was a new parliamentarian in the Irish government who wanted to put a, a, bear, a bill to uh, legalize abortion. And so she invited, she said, we need to do a campaign together. So we did, she, they went with a train to Northern Ireland to pick up the abortion pills. And she took the abortion pills in public in front of the press um, to, um, to show that they were safe. So because one of the things that the anti-abortion groups tried to say is that, ah, oh, the pills are so dangerous. But when you have a politician, a member of parliament taking abortion pills publicly, I mean, that kind of that is, is it doesn't hold ground anymore and then the next campaign we did is we flew a drone with abortion pills from one country to another we already did this in Poland as well so this was also using the different laws from the different countries because yeah so you the, 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 the drone flyer was in one country where it was allowed to do it and then the drone landed at the other part of the country where the women were taking the pills but what was interesting is that the police in Northern Ireland, they wanted to know whether the women were actually pregnant. And we said, well, that's none of, you know, none of your business because that's exactly what it's about. And so they were constantly saying that we had to tell them, we had to tell them and that they would intervene otherwise. Um, but uh, we didn't tell them and in the end they let the campaign go. Uh, but the, draw, the, loan, the, the, the laws, there's now all these laws on drones that were implemented, so you cannot do this anymore, unfortunately. You cannot, you're not allowed to fly abortion pills with drones or anything with drones actually, unless you have a special license and registered, etc. Um, so the, uh, so then we published a lot of scientific research because in Ireland they said, well, there's no abortions taking place here. Women are easily going to England. Uh, and we published a lot of research to show that thousands of women were using women on web. And this was uh, actually used in, in the political landscape in order to move the law forward and to change the law. Um, and it showed that, you know, women using abortion pills by internet was increasing and people traveling was decreasing. So the politicians could not deny anymore that abortions were taking place in Ireland. So um, anyway, there was an advice to legalize it on the uh, on demand. Um, and there was a referendum to to ask the population if they agreed that it would be legalized. Um, and of course, it was really clear that the fact that abortion pills were being used and that it was available, that was the main message, that they had to legalize abortion in order to make sure that women wouldn't continue self-sourcing abortions. Um, the referendum was really hard, hard on the ground work, like door to door by uh, local, uh, by uh, Irish women's groups. Uh, but it passed and abortion is now legal in Ireland as well. So we continued immediately to Northern Ireland because although Northern Ireland is part of the UK, um, they made an exception for the abortion law. So it's actually, a, it was a criminal offense where people could go to jail for life. And we launched the abortion robot there. That's why we stand up and the, the robot is really, it was really small. It's, it was a, it's an, uh, what do you call it, a, a camera? Uh, that you use to guard your house or your pets or whatever. Um, and, uh, and the way it works, it's, you, you, we connected it to a mobile Wi-Fi in the Netherlands. So we left the iPad 
uh, here, and then the robot with the mobile Wi-Fi went to Ireland with the pills, and we had the robots in a little, we had two robots in a shoebox, and then the robot could be controlled from Amsterdam. Um, so um, it was my son who uh, steered the robot outside of the shoebox, um, but the, the, the police had, uh, had confiscated one of the robots, but they didn't know that there was a second one, so they were very surprised. But the both robots were, were arrested, unfortunately. We didn't get them back. Um, but, you know, the media again was on top of it. They said, you know, women taking abortion pills in front of the court case, abortion robot is here, and that's what we want to do. We want to create this kind of... It's also a bit silly, and we like it. It's kind of playful, because you're... The abortion is made in such a really serious, difficult issue with a lot of stigma and shame, and we'd want to try to make it something which is also, you know, funny and interesting, and, you know, here it's legal, there it's illegal, what the fuck? Uh, why can you drive a, a robot from Amsterdam into Northern Ireland? Um, and and so we try to be to create these kind of uh, campaigns. We might do another robot campaign in the U.S., but we're still working on it. So and then uh, also Northern Ireland legalized abortion. So the Netherlands actually it's not legal. It's still a criminal offense in the Netherlands. A doctor that provides an abortion in a clinic that doesn't have a license or in circumstances that are predicted by the law can go to jail for four years. Um, and we have worked years to get it, change it, among others now, which a law that did pass is that general, general practitioners can now start providing abortions and it's not only clinics anymore. It's st still not happening because the government takes a lot of time to implement this law. Um, but I mean, for example, many of the foreign students here, if you will need an abortion, you have to pay and you have to pay 600 euros unless you come to Women and Waves. So that you know, if you need help or you have a friend that needs help, we help people for free here in Amsterdam as well. Um, but uh, it's, it's really a problem. And so we were the ones that were actually, we, we, with our research we have uh, made it clear and um, public. Um, I'm going to go through it a little bit quicker. So we worked also to do research whether general practitioners were willing to do it, to provide abortion pills, and they do want to do it, and that law was just passed. So now we hope in uh, next year people can just go to their GP and get an abortion pill um, prescribed. I, I already prescribe, uh, uh, and you can go to a pharmacy uh, to pick it up there. Um, so it's that is the next the next fight here is to get it out of the penal code because it really, really is important that this is not a criminal offense, that it should be a normal, you know, over-the-counter or whatever medicine uh, that's available. Um, um, so in the United States, I started aid access and service like Women on Web in 2018, and that was before abortion was banned there. Um, I got a warning letter from the FDA which was very funny because it was signed by 120 members of parliament, uh, of the Congress, that they, they, uh, they saluted the FDA for going after the Dutch abortionist. And I was like in bed for three days and I didn't know what to do, whether to stop or not. And then I found a lawyer in the US who was amazing and he helped me to sue the FDA. So we sued the FDA for going after me and then we just started again. Uh, to provide the abortion pills. But what was interesting is actually what we saw is the obstacles to care were money. 70% of the people could not afford the abortions in the United States. Distance to clinics, childcare issues, 
privacy issues. 50% of the women, they wanted to keep their own abortion for themselves. They don't want to go to the clinic where, you know, you know that they're going to the clinic so people know that you're going to go for an abortion or they don't want their parents to know or other people to know. Um, and so we got a really, I mean, we're getting these kind of emails all the time. People that are thinking about committing suicide, that are living, you know, on the streets sometimes in a car, uh, on, yeah, have children, don't have money, they don't have anything. So we really try to help everybody. So even people that cannot afford to pay, they get it for free. And that was basic also for Women on Web and also aid access. Um, because it's really important you can have an abortion for free when you cannot afford to pay for it. And I think actually that's the most revolutionary part of it because in many places in the world there is no free access doesn't exist. Free healthcare doesn't exist. And in the US for sure it didn't exist. So um, then abortion was banned in Texas first and then after it was banned. Uh, and we could show, because we were an alternative service there, we could show an increase in the number of requests from the women in Texas. And it doubled like almost 11 times higher than before the, the ban in Texas. And then, um, and then the United States Supreme Court banned abortion. And then our, the request for our services, it exploded basically. It was really so many, because all the states started banning abortion. There's now 18 states, I think, that ban abortion. And so the only thing that was available to them was telemedical abortions. It was abortions through the internet, through pills that they could receive at home and do themselves. And this is what happened to the website. The moments that the bans were um, better announced, you see there were, you know, the, the website exploded. There were so many visitors. Um, so now these are the states that are banning abortion. Texas is one of the biggest states. Um, one of the women that is used this law really, you know, in a very smart way, I, she was carpooling. She was alone, but she was highly pregnant. You're not allowed to carpool, but when you're alone in the car. And she said, well, you know, it's alive, right? It's a person, so I don't have to pay my fine. And she won that in court. So um, again, the request increased a lot, and um, and we're still seeing it. Now, in June, some of the states adapted laws that are protecting the providers from other states, like Washington, New York, California. If they help people in Texas and the other states where it's illegal, they won't be prosecuted. Um, and these are shield law states, it's called. So now I have, there's eight US providers that are selling, not selling, they're sending thousands of abortion pills every month to all of the US. I think at the moment it's 8,000 per month. Um, and, uh, and they're helping women all over the US to get access to abortion. So I'm not anymore the prescriber, which I used to do before. And we are now uh, doing research into a new contraceptive based on the abortion pill, Mifepristone. And it's an on-demand, it's lower doses. So for the abortion pill, you need 200 micrograms. For the contraceptive, you need 50 micrograms. And you use it once a week, or if you have a lot of sex, if you have sex once every three weeks, you only use it when you have sex. So it's a combination of a, a emergency contraceptive together with a weekly contraceptive. So it's a real on-demand. And we started the research. Um, and we are now including people in Moldova, where it's part of the study. Uh, we will start next year in the Netherlands with 14 uh, hospitals. Um, and here you can see the side effects. So you can, this is a study that was done in India where you can see that from the combined oral contraceptives, which is the pill, the normal pill, 50% uh, of the women experience side effects. And from the Mifepristone, 
uh, tablet, it was only 17%. And the only side effect that it was was that it changes your menstrual pattern. So people will menstruate less when they take the, um, uh, the Mifepristone. Uh, so anyway, we're working on this, and we hope that it will uh, change the situation where Viagra is easier to get than, uh, than the abortion pill. Yes. You, you can all hear us, right? Otherwise, you move forward. Come on. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, maybe one of the first questions could be, uh, your backgrounds in the arts. You studied here in Amsterdam, sorry. And I find uh, I have so much admiration for the creativity you apply to these uh, solutions, these campaigns. Um, could you say a little bit more about combining art and activism and how your background here at Rietveld has fed into your work? Yes. So I have, first, I want to say my daughter is also here at Rietveld now, and I'm very proud. Yay! So. <laughs> Okay, um, so I think what is important, yeah, sorry, maybe. <laughs> um, so I think, I, well, actually what I think is important, for me, the Rietveld was very important because it, it, it teaches you to discover alternative realities or to create alternative realities and not to take things on face value. Um, and um, and I think that is what the work is really about. It's really only about creating alternative realities. Um, but I also think, for me, it was really important to also do medicine. I didn't have. I, I can say I didn't. Well, I wasn't a good artist uh, because I don't. I didn't feel the urgency of art myself strongly enough to be an uh, an, uh, an artist that could make a difference. I think. Um, but I wanted to be an art list really badly. I mean, I applied for all the post-academical studies and I was rejected, so there's a lot of pain there. <laughs> um, but um, the other thing is, I think that um, it's very important to do as much different things as you can. I mean, everybody, because it's on the, it's on the, the it's where different disciplines meet each other where change happens. Um, so I really, I, I really think, and it can be f from within art, but it, I think it's very important to have this very interdisciplinary approach because that's where you can find um, new things, you can find loopholes, you can find uh, different realities, whatever. So for me, art was very, uh, medicine was very important in that sense as well. And I, I used, you know, it was, um, and, and the, the urgency there was clearly there. It was just naturally there because people that are ill and they need help there. And you also start, you mentioned that you got funding from Mondrian yeah. for the first project. Yeah. So did you then pitch that first project as an art, art piece? No. no. Well, the, the mobile treatment room was yeah. pitched as an art piece. So the collaboration with Jupe was very important because we wouldn't have gotten the money if it wasn't you building the mobile treatment room. Yeah. Yeah. And was your was your work also? It was the first fund that we got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other questions I was I had was uh, I was really admiring your uh, I don't know when you when you you will see of course in the documentary that most people might not have seen already but you're met with a lot of opposition both like physical violence and legal opposition. Were there moments when you just felt like, I can't take, how did you deal with all this negativity, these 
um, oh yeah I think I mean, this is interesting groups who are there with Nazi signs and missing you oh, I mean warships like were yeah you well yes I was as well but I have to say I had a very very supportive environment so my parents were always very supportive and uh, for example my father and my mother were at a campaign in Poland where the the groups were really very ag aggressive throwing paint and eggs and my, my my father was getting the the ropes from the boat when it sailed in and then there was a woman hitting him over the head with a piece of paper with a pack of paper and then my mom took away the, the person so they they were very supportive um, and uh, and also my partners uh, that were uh, my, my partners were very supportive uh, so I think that helps but there's also something and I think that many people actually will experience that that under kind of these moments of huge stress that you can get some kind of hyper focus where you are responding and I that's that's something that I've always done where I was able to to break through these kind of mo moments where there was this enormous tension and then to to go around it and to change something else another another moment but that's was also with support for the people yeah, yeah. do we do we have some questions yeah 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 so how it works is that the government, uh, the Ministry of Health, you can apply for a license there uh, to provide abortion services and then they come and check your clinic uh, and you have to have all kinds of protocols in place and even cleaning protocol and whatever, like there's a whole stack of this paper big uh, and then they uh, they uh, they uh, they give the license. So the license was initially denied to us for the mobile treatment room. They didn't want to give it. So we had to go to court to get the license. And then um, and then we never used it because we decided, you know, we're going to use another boat from another country. Um, but the general practitioners now, the new law, they don't have to apply for a license. They are allowed to do it in their practices. To, to prescribe the abortion pill, yeah. So that's a huge difference because there was like 13 abortion clinics or 14 abortion clinics in the Netherlands and they're all kind of in Rotterdam, Amsterdam, in the city centers. So people from, you know, the rural areas, the access was kind of hard. If you lived at Waddeneilanden in the north, you had to travel for hours to Groningen to get an abortion. And there's like 12,000 general practitioners so can you understand what an enormous increase in access that means in the Netherlands? Yeah. So we are anxiously waiting for this to be taken place. And is there still a five-day thinking period? No, that was also that was done. finally, yeah. yeah. Jesus, yeah. 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 Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there was, for, do you know when this stopped? It stopped a year ago. A year yeah. ago. Yeah, so in the Netherlands, the law said that as a woman, when you want to have an abortion, you had to see a doctor. Then you had to wait for five days before you could actually have the, the abortion. Uh, and, uh, and that was now taken away as well. It's a, it's a, uh, yeah, it was a kind of a punishment, like women don't know or something, or like some people need to think longer than five days and they will. 
and other people don't need to think about it for a second because they're sure they don't want to be pregnant. So it was very paternalistic, but it was a, it was the law was a compromise with the Christian parties. And I mean, that's a problem that we're going to see again, like lots of Christian parties here and they will be in the government again next year, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, was there another question? Um, yeah, I was just actually going to ask if you think these procedures are yeah, it's all about punishing, punishment. But there's still there's still so much of that, right? That and it's that is also something that's very internalized in many women that they feel guilty, that you feel stupid, like one abortion perhaps, but two or three or four. Oh man, then you must be really really stupid, you know. And there's so much judgmental judgments around it, and I think that. There's two positions here, and there, there's no gray zones either. It's the woman that decides. It's her life, it's her body, it's her... Uh, uh, or it's the fetus life that it makes, you know, that has preference. But there's no gray area. Um, and so if we can say that an abortion is a decision that a woman, only a woman can make, then it doesn't matter whether you have one, two, ten... 20 abortions, and actually, I don't think it matters, but there's such a huge taboo on it, uh, or that you have to use contraceptives. I mean, it's also okay if you just want to use the abortion pill once a year, or every two or half year, or whatever. Um, so there's, the, 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 there's, I think that, because the moral status of the fetus, it's the same, whether you're raped, whether it's incest, whether it's because you want it, because you need it, because your life is at risk as a woman, it's still the same fetus. So you cannot give a little bit of rights to the fetus, depending on what is the situation of the women. Um, or so, do you, I don't know if you understand that. So, um, but it's something that many abortion rights activists still feel very uncomfortable with, to be so unapologetic about it and saying, well, actually, this is just something that even if I don't want to use contraceptives or even if I have more abortions, it's okay. Uh, because it's my life, my body, and I decide. Um, and not to have all these, you know, buts and ifs. And really sincerely not to feel guilty about it. And I cannot, I, I can say that it doesn't mean sometimes that it's not sad. We make a lot of decisions in our lives that make us sad or that we wish we wouldn't have to make if we want to be in another position or, you know, it's not to to, to bagatellize the, the situation, but it's really more about a, a mind train. And why do you think there are so many uh, countries and in the United States especially, why do you think they're tightening the laws now? Is it a political incentive or... I mean, for a, for a century, it was legal all over America. And then what do you think is... Yeah, well, but America, the reason is that there is a very small majority that got into power, which are fundamentalist Christians. I mean, the new Speaker of the House, he's an extremely fundamental Christian. He's a very big ally of Trump. If Trump wins the elections, there won't be abortions in any of the states anymore in the US. But that is not because of democracy. It's not because of the, that people want that. It's because there is the, a small a minority of fundamentalists have taken over the power. And that is something that you see in many countries happening. I mean, Israel, whatever, uh, talking about Israel, but also in, uh, in Russia, in Turkey, in Hungary, in, 
uh, not Poland is now okay. Um, but it's always, I mean, the thing is, democracy is something that you have to fight for. Uh, and, you, and, and, and it's so easy to lose it. It's so easy to lose these rights. Um, and, uh, uh, and there's still many countries where there's this threat that it might be, uh, you know, in Argentina there's new elections with some really crazy conservative. Uh, so, I don't know, it's just part of, it will be an eternal political struggle for freedom. That's the case for, it will always be there. Are there any last questions? Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask because you contact with a lot of feminist yeah. movements all around the world. How to build these synergies? Is it easy? No. And, and also with other, also with academia, you also talk to researchers, you also talk to universities. And I think that the tempos of activism and academia are very, very. Yes. So how how to make it work and how to make it successful? Yeah. So I think that alliances, because of alliances, they don't work. I think you have to have a plan and a program and 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 and, and, and a vision uh, where you want to align people around, um, because you will get the people on your side that you need to do what you want to do. So. Um, for example, uh, with the vote, there were many women's groups against it, but there were also women's groups that were supportive, and you just work with the women's groups that are supportive. Uh, so it's a very divisive world, uh, especially women's rights groups, civil rights groups, people that are working for climate justice, uh, you know, all these organizations, there's very much infight problems, division, change of opinion, whatever. And I think you can only, um, only when you have a project and a plan, you can find the people that want to work with you and that you want to work with. The rest you just leave aside, you don't pay attention to, you don't look back. Um, and you, then you can build alliances also around, you know, the same with academics, the same with doctors, the same with uh, lawyers. I mean, the lawyers are usually very conservative, so we only find the lawyers that are very, that are brave, that want to think ahead, that want to look for loopholes, that are interested in creating change. But it's not like the alliances per se, it will never happen. You have to have a project and a plan. Is, is Women on Waves still functioning as a charity? Are you still doing campaigns? Yes, we're still there. Um, I, the thing is that the focus now is, is really on getting the contraceptive on developed and available. That's a, I would say that the most difficult project I've ever done. So we are undermining big pharma. That's actually what we're doing. That's the next thing. Because it's a non-patented drug. Pharma doesn't want to invest in it. We had to raise the money for the research ourselves, which was a lot. Like we needed three million. And I was only able to get the three million because of the awards for aid access. So, but, uh, but we want to keep it. We want to make sure it will be available for very low cost. And that means you have to keep commercial pharma companies out. So I think we will become the first non-profit uh, um, 
fair access pharmaceutical company, <laughs> not company, non-profit, whatever, in the future. So that's the next thing. And, and pharma is a really big problem around the world. There's so much profit and it's so, um, yeah, I mean, when you, the more you know about the world, it's really ugly, yeah. So there's a lot, so I hope that can serve as an example for other medicines as well, where, you, where we're going to undermine big pharma. One last thing. What, do you think uh, there is also a male alternative that you're cooking up? Uh, for the pills, no. But I will tell you something. I like the idea, but to be honest, male won't, men, so um, a male male, so not a transgender male, but a male, there's transgender people that can also get pregnant, but um, the natural born male, they won't get pregnant for now. I mean, it's not there yet. I don't think it will ever happen. And if the woman bears the consequences, I would not trust a man to take a method that has so many side effects as the pill, for example, to, to, to take it and to be diligent to take it because it doesn't affect them. So I think for some people it might work when you, when you have a relationship with somebody that is very uh, responsible, very caring, you know, but there's not many of those kind of relationships out there. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> Is that true or not? I don't know. <laughs> well, perhaps there is, but I didn't. <laughs> that's not my experience. So I, I wouldn't trust a man to take a contraceptive, especially not with the side effects that it has. But there are male contraceptives being developed as we speak by other companies. It's a, it's a gel that you can wrap on your shoulders. So that will come on the market, but we'll see how well it works. I mean, guys don't even want to use condoms yet, right? So, I mean, that's the most easy, easy peasy anticonceptive that's available. So if we could rely on, you know, all the men using condoms properly, then that would be a step forward. But you don't need a contraceptive pill for a man. But yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit old fashioned now. So. <laughs> There's also uh, the cheating, like non-hormonal, No. Because, because it's like very... It hasn't been proven to be effective enough. It, yeah, <laughs> it, has been, it has been tested, I think, by, by like a thousand people. Okay. Um, but it's just that it's very hard to get something on the market uh, that is um, not um, as sure as yeah. like the, the yeah. fabulous, also yeah. because people just want to keep it that way. Yeah, and yeah exactly. Yeah, so I'm totally more, more yeah. modern aware. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, they are very, very interesting. Thanks. Should we um, wrap it up? Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thank you so yeah. much for coming. You're welcome.
Yeah.